the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenlee from the National Prayer Chapel. I want to share with you today. I want to share with you today. I'm having some technical difficulties. By the way, if you're trying to listen on the YouTube and sound is not coming through properly, would you please make a note? I'm not sure I can change it. Uh, my computer's gone through some changes of its own accord, so I'm not sure that I'm broadcasting on the YouTube channel. But let's come back. I'm going to go charging straight forward because we're still on the radio, and there's some things that I'd like to say today about this new kind of church that God is in the process of, of developing. He is giving birth to a new kind of church. And it's utterly important that we understand what this church must look like. That we must understand what the Holy Spirit wants to do in us. Let's begin in Luke, the 18th chapter. Luke, the 18th chapter. Jesus is speaking here. Jesus is speaking here about prayer. And he's speaking some things that, that cut right to the heart. Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. Well, what is justice? Justice, according to law.com, is moral uprightness, fairness, equitableness. Justice is treating every man and every woman with dignity. That's the legal definition of, of justice. Now, the difficulty in our modern day with social justice is that it's not based on the law. America was founded on the Judeo-Christian ethic, and our laws were birthed out of the Ten Commandments, God's law. Now, if God's law is the basis for what is fair and equitable, if we understand out of the gospel of Jesus Christ what is fair and equitable, 
what is righteous and what is moral, then certainly you must have personal responsibility. So today, everyone is talking about social justice. But the modern wokeness of social justice has completely turned aside from any idea of personal responsibility. We must hold to personal responsibility in this whole discussion of what is fair and what is unfair. It is not a matter that everyone should have the same thing. When I was growing up as a boy, if my brother got a cookie, then I should also get a cookie. Everything should be the same. But in reality, in the Judeo-Christian ethic, everything is not equal. It's based on personal responsibility. So when we come to this question of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we come to God asking for justice. We come asking for justice. But we don't ask for everything to be done in an equal way. Instead, we come asking the Lord to have his way, to have his purpose fulfilled. In a culture like the Chinese culture, that is not based on the Judeo-Christian ethic, we are dismayed, we are offended by its treatment of animals, eating of the dog. We're offended by their treatment of one another. It seems cruel and heartless and unjust. But according to their understanding, according to their law, made by a dictator, that's just. I'm not speaking of that kind of justice. I'm speaking of justice that flows out of the Judeo-Christian ethic, out of the moral values of first the Ten Commandment law, and then the law of Jesus Christ, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So this woman comes to the judge, and she is pleading with the judge for fairness, for moral righteousness. But for some time, he refused. But finally, he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. Now, this is a judge who does not have a moral basis, a fair basis for judging. He doesn't fear God. And he doesn't care about men. He is an unrighteous judge. 
And this woman keeps coming to this unjust and wicked judge, pleading that she receive justice. Justice against an adversary. And he refused. But finally, out of self-interest, he said, I don't care about God. I don't care about men. Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice. She gets fair treatment. She gets equity. She gets moral righteousness. So, he didn't want her to wear him out with her coming. Now, the Lord wants to use this unrighteous man who finally granted this woman equity, justice. The Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? That's not just a throwaway line. Jesus is saying, look, you keep coming to God, and he will hear you, and he will grant you justice. Because he is righteous. Because he has a moral basis for standing. He is the giver of the law. And he was the giver of Jesus Christ. So, the Lord is saying, if you want justice, Continue crying out to God. Don't, don't trust in yourself. Don't trust in unjust judges. Present your case before the Almighty God of Heaven. Now the question comes, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? In other words, will people, will my people continue to pray? Or will they give up praying and not have persistence and not persevere? Will they turn aside to their own wisdom? and their own decisions about what is right and what is wrong. Will they have faith when the Son of Man comes? Will they put their confidence in the Lord God of heaven? This is a very difficult question. Many times I've prayed... And it seems there was no answer. 
Now, I don't like the foolish answers that I've received many times from teachers and pastors. They say God always answers prayer. He says yes, no, or maybe. That's simply not true. We need to know when God answers our prayer. And if the answer is no, we need to hear him very clearly in our spirit. By the Holy Spirit, say no and don't ask me again. I have heard that on a number of occasions, and it was frightening. I was asking for something that was not just. God will not answer a prayer that is not just. Justice is a primary element of the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, with that as a backdrop, Jesus does not change the subject. The subject is still prayer. The subject is still prayer. Now is where it becomes very uncomfortable. Verse 13, but the tax collector. Oh, wait a minute. He wants to talk to us about the publican. It begins in verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. So we have two men that we're dealing with. One is a Pharisee, that is, the strictest of the religionists. The strictest, following all of the rules they had established to try to guard the law. They came about, they were organized during the intertestamental period when God was not speaking by prophets After Malachi, the last prophet of the Old Testament, spoke, it was 400 years until Jesus came and God once more spoke. During that period of time, many decided we must absolutely keep the law. Now, the keeping of the law was what this Pharisee did. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector, that is, a publican, that is, one who is devoted to sin, who is ravaging his his neighbors and those around him because he is an officer of the court of Rome, and he represents Rome in the acquisition of taxes. The two men went up to the temple to pray. The Pharisee stood up and he prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all that I have. 
So he has a negative righteousness and he has a positive righteousness. Righteousness is always both positive and negative. The negative is what he does not do. He does not rob people. He is not an evildoer. He is not an adulterer. He does not sin in that manner. His positive is that he fasts twice a week and he pays tithe. Outward manifestations. All of them outward manifestations. But if we're going to deal with justice, outward manifestations, both negative and positive, they matter. So, this Pharisee, I need to be very careful how I say this to you. This Pharisee considered himself saved, and he considered the publican to be lost. He considered himself to be saved, and he considered the publican to be lost. Now, I want to carry that a little further. The great problem that I'm faced with, with you, and with my own life, is that I am not yet all that God wants me to be. While on the other hand, I consider myself saved. That instantly puts me in the category of the, of the Pharisee and not the publican. There are only two categories here. The Pharisee and the publican. And we in the church have considered ourselves as being saved. The vocabulary is, oh, that's a lost person. I'm a saved person. The problem with this is that it may not be just. It may not be fair. It may not be equitable. I know I'm probably not making sense to you, but hang with me. The problem I have is finding myself searching, searching, looking, trying to understand, reading books, good books. searching because there is a portion of my heart now I'm going to be brutally honest there's a portion of my heart that has not yet entered the full rest of Jesus Christ 
I find that's true of most who call themselves Christians. There is still fear. There is still doubt. There is still the faint aroma of unbelief. We have not yet finished the journey into righteousness. Now, some of you simply make excuses and say, I'm sorry, I can never be righteous. God has to accept me just the way I am. Wrong. He will not just accept you the way you are. His blood was sufficient on Calvary's tree to totally, to totally cover you. To totally transform you into his likeness. The problem is we have been identified as the church at Laodicea. Blind, naked, miserable, wretched, and don't know it. So that identifies you as a Pharisee. It identifies me as a Pharisee because There is not that deep crying out after Jesus. There is not that deep compassion that is necessary for God's people to possess. Let me read for you Colossians, the third chapter. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. This is personal responsibility. You do this through your connection with Jesus Christ by the power of the blood, the spirit. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. Verse 8, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips, lying. He says, you have taken off your old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there's no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but in Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy, dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievance you may have against one another. Oh, do you know how many times in my walk with Jesus... I've made some mistake. I have I have caused someone to be injured by words that I have spoken, not intentionally trying to offend them, but my words have offended them. And they do not bear with me, but instead cut me off and run. And how many times I've been offended by something someone has said to me, and said, if that's how they are, I don't want anything to do with them. I'm done. I've tried my best, and and that's who they are. 
They're not worth my time. They're not worth my energy. I'm done with them. I'm moving on. That's Pharisee stuff. Do you understand? It's not just. Over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to to peace. Let the word of Christ dwell richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your heart to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That's Colossians, the third chapter. You see what I'm trying to get at today? The modern American church looks a lot more like the Pharisee than the publican. Now I'm going to get to the publican too. But we look a lot more like the Pharisee than the publican. We're saved, they're lost. We have the truth, they don't. And the result is we don't walk in justice and kindness and mercy and compassion. And we cut one another off and we dismiss. Quickly, we dismiss a sinner and judge him unworthy. We don't grant him justice. You see, as we talk about this new kind of church that God is birthing, the church starts as a prayer meeting. And that's why at the National Prayer Chapel we have discontinued for now preaching. They've had enough preaching. Now we're praying. And we're going to learn how to really pray. And I'm praying for the fullness of the Holy Spirit to come and show us how to pray. But you see, there are some of these issues that have to be cleared from our hearts. Because for the Holy Spirit to come, we must be one in unity. And frankly, in the modern church in America, we've stayed very distant from one another because we didn't want any conflict. We didn't want any bitterness. We didn't want any anger. We were afraid. So everybody comes to church all dressed up and all polite, and everybody keeps their distance. And then we go live our private lives the way we choose to live them, walking in all kinds of uncleanness. This has to change. The Lord is concerned that, yes, we'll cry out and we'll intercede for the church and we'll ask for the justice of God with regard to the president and with regard to other aspects of the of the work of the gospel. But we personally will be pretty much untouched by it because we're confident that we're saved. Oh, I'm on my way to heaven. 
I'm saved. How do you know you're saved? Because I believe in Jesus Christ. I confess the name of Jesus, so I'm saved. No, you're not. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Then the publican. He stood at a distance. He could not even look up to heaven. But he beat his breast. And he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That is, have mercy on me because I am utterly devoted to sin. I am not free. I am in bondage. It's a terrible thing when, when a person thinks that they have confessed their sins and they are righteous and they are saved. But they're just a Pharisee. It's a game. They speak the church language real well. The God language, I call it but it has no real meaning. It's all psychological, sentimental, sweetness, lies. I run into that a lot with this radio broadcast. Now the publican, he just right out says, look, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. I'm devoted to my sin. I'm in bondage. I can't even look up to heaven. It's very interesting to me that he came to pray. Obviously, if he came to pray, the Spirit of God was calling him. I tell you, Jesus said, verse 14, this is Luke 18, verse 14. This man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. The root word here for justify is dikasune, and it means literally to render righteous. This man went home with the beginning of a process that would save his soul. A process was started in this man. Do you know what the word render means? It's an old-fashioned word. You render fat. You boil it and skim it off. You cook it. You put it over a fire. The word is saying from Jesus that this man went home rendered righteous. His sin was forgiven. And now a process was begun. A process was begun. And in that process, he would be made righteous.
where everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, that is, depressed and humiliated, and he who humbles himself will be exalted, that is, be lifted up. These two parables get right at the heart of the issue that we must look at as the church today. A new kind of church is being born, and it starts with a prayer meeting where we can stop saying, I thank God I'm not like other men, where we can stop listing all of the things that we think give us a right to be saved. We can begin to let God expose us for who we really are as the church at Laodicea, lukewarm, filled with fear and dread, not filled with the Spirit of God. The disciples were filled with fear and dread. They stayed in the upper room. They locked the door because they were afraid the Romans were going to come and crucify them also. But after the Holy Spirit came upon them, they were exceedingly bold. Their fear was gone. They were now not just made righteous, not just rendered righteous. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and boldness. Now, part of what's going to have to happen in this church, this new church that God is birthing in America, is we're going to have to go and walk in the way of Hebrews. Let me read it for you. Hebrews, the fourth chapter. Speaks of a promise that we could enter into rest. Rest here means cessation, stopping. Let us be careful that none of us be found to have fallen short of it, that is, of the rest. For we also had the gospel preached to us just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because those who heard it did not combine it with faith. Now let me read. Yet his work has been finished since the creation of the world. Verse 4, for somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. And on the seventh day, God rested from all of his work. And again, in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. It still remains that some will enter that rest. And those who formerly had the gospel preached to them, did not go in because of their disobedience. Therefore God again set a certain day, calling it today, when a long time later he spoke through David 
as was said before, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. We harden our heart when we identify others as unworthy sinners. Instead of having compassion and coming into the presence of God, and crying out as this widow for equity, for justice, for this sinner. It's interesting in the parable that I shared with you, the comparison is not between saved and lost. It's between unrighteous and righteous. Righteousness only comes by the Holy Spirit, by the blood of Jesus Christ. He makes us righteous. He regenerates us. He makes us holy. He doesn't declare us holy. He makes us holy in the New Testament. Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8. Now listen, if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest, rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of the soul and the spirit, joints and the marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. We're going to have to let God come and judge our thoughts and our attitudes. The Pharisee was exhibiting an attitude of pride and superiority. The publican was exhibiting an attitude of abject humility. And he was the one who received justification. Nothing in all creation, this is Hebrews 4, verse 13, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. In other words, the prayer meeting that the church holds 
in preparation for the pouring out of the Holy Spirit is where we must allow God to judge our thoughts and our attitudes, the inner life. The outer life has been purged. We're not committing fornication. We're not walking in the way of darkness. But it's the inner attitudes. It's the inner thoughts that now must be dealt with before the throne of God. And he's saying we can approach the throne of God with boldness, with confidence that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We may find mercy to help us in our time of need. I hope today that you have recognize the absolute necessity of not walking blind and naked and miserable and wretched in your Christian experience. But instead, we must humble our hearts before Almighty God and we must allow Him, allow the Holy Spirit to use His Word to separate bone from marrow, spirit and soul, because nothing about us is hidden from God. He sees who we are. He knows us. Everything about you is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of God. And it is to him we must give account for who we are and how we operate. Are you ready to go before the judge of all the earth and proclaim to him, look, I'm righteous, I'm saved, I'm on my way. I'm doing this and this and this. I'm not doing this and this and this. So you've got to include me. You've got to be fair with me, God. You've got to be just with me. Are you kidding me? There must be a, a putting on of compassion and love. There must be a putting on of humility we greatly lack in these things. It's so easy to, to give and give and then to become cynical and angry because our giving is mistreated or personal responsibility is not taken. There's only one way to deal with that and that's not through sentimentality that's with justice to say look I have to be fair with you you're not taking personal responsibility for your actions and until you're willing to take personal responsibility and say it's me I'm the one I'm guilty I need to be justified before God I can't help you I want to but you have to take responsibility for yourself before God I'm here to help you as you take that responsibility. But you must take the responsibility. That's a foundation principle of the justice of God. Personal accountability. 
So today, I tried to talk about what is so obviously missing in the body of Christ today. And yet, so very difficult to get our hands around and to understand. And that's why this entire passage ends with, let's approach the throne of grace with confidence. That's why the new kind of church has to start with prayer. Not Pharisee prayer, but publican prayer. Must start with abject humility before a holy God who sees and understands everything. Who knows who you really are, knows who I am. We must come with our thoughts. We must come with our attitudes. And we must present them before God. And let him change and alter and regenerate us to look like Jesus. To be filled with Jesus. That Christ in you, the hope of glory. And I have to tell you, I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. There are still attitudes in my heart of judgment that have to go. And as the Lord is showing me, I'm saying, Lord, would you remove that from me in the name of Jesus? I'm intentionally choosing See, the publican was where he was because he intentionally chose to go to the tabernacle, to the, to the temple of God. He chose to go there and present himself as he did. The Pharisee deliberately chose to go to church and present himself as he did. We must choose how we will present ourselves before God. And I'm telling you now that if you're going to present yourself before God for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you're going to have to come with your attitudes and your thoughts uncovered, confessed, and transformed by the blood of Jesus. We can force ourselves into outward righteous behavior. Once we are saved and the Spirit is with us, we can change behavior. It's the attitudes and the thoughts that are the hardest to deal with. And that's where we must come and lay those before the Lord with boldness, knowing That it's a throne of grace. It will be a throne of judgment at one day, but today it's a throne of grace. It's a throne of mercy. 
So I come with confidence. I invite you to come with confidence too. And let God do that deeper work in our hearts. Well, we're out of time for today's broadcast. I apologize to my YouTubers that something happened with my internet connection and I could not have sound. Hopefully tomorrow that can be repaired. And you who are on radio, thank you for listening. 7.80 a.m. I'd love to hear from you. Write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Again, that's the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. <clears throat> you can also go to our webpage. And by the way, it's a brand new webpage. Thank you, Brother Ed, for the hours, days, weeks of work. Go to our webpage and check it out. NationalPrayerChapel.com. It looks beautiful. You can give online. I'm Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. Thank you for listening today. I hope it's been helpful to you. I'd like to hear from you. God bless you. I love you with all my heart. And I'm praying for you. I don't know all of your names, but I pray for every person who's listening to the broadcast. God bless you. I'll talk to you soon.